So as I invite our liturgist to come up and read scripture this morning, I don't mean to turn my back on you, um, I just want to say this, this scripture from Matthew certainly familiar to all of us about Jesus' temptation in the desert. And I originally meant to deliver this or had, had started writing this for Lent, which is probably when y'all would have expected to hear this, this very scripture. Um, but Holy Spirit works in interesting ways. And at the time of Lent, Pastor Brad was working on themes of harvest. And so I did a, a message on the God seed and that all went well. And as it turns out, as I was working on this over the past few weeks, I needed this for my time for this time in my life right now. So it all worked out for me, and I hope that that turns out to be true for you as well. Let's listen to the word of our Lord. The gospel reading today is Matthew four verses one through eleven. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted forty days and forty nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to them, said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. That is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Robin. Good morning. So... I'm going to start uh, today's message on a bit of a personal note, um, which is a risk for me, and I, I just so, so I'll ask for your prayers even as I speak about this. But so, so ever since Carl Soderberg's memorial service, which some of you attended and which I was honored to, uh, to hold, I have felt myself called in a different way, uh, a new and... I don't know, a larger way maybe to serve God. Um, and I met with the District Committee on Ordained Ministry in April, um, and this was for my certification on the ordination path. And for those of you who don't know what that means, um, it means you have to pass a psychological test, so I guess I fooled them. And I, you have to write a bunch of papers about your call, and Rachel knows about all this because she's certified. Um, so there I was in this room of, of about six people, very, you know, dedicated ministry people, and they asked me what had been going on for the past year. And I told them it, had felt, it felt like a new door had opened. And then I talked about the pastoral counseling ministry, and I talked about the uh, pastoral care ministry. And then Pat Simpson, what is the phrase, skewered me with her gaze and said, tell us about the door. And, of course, I couldn't because I... 
I didn't know what it was yet. I, I still don't. I've been discerning this. And so I just want to ask for your prayers for me during this time of deepening my response to God's call. Because here's what else has happened. The devil has been beating on me. And I want to be clear. I don't think of the devil as a person. Um, God isn't a person except as we know him through Christ. But I do believe we're tempted every day in our faith walk to turn away from God. Is the devil behind those temptations? For me, it's a problem of language. Um, I've done my research. For those of you who know me, you will know. I've done my research on this. And you'll also be glad to know that I decided to cut the three pages uh, that I originally had on the shift in meaning from the Hebrew to the Christian scriptures of the figure Hasatan. And the term devil is just, it's loaded with so many understandings and interpretations that we could talk, or at least I could, for a long time on that issue alone, but I won't. And I'm sure you're grateful. So for lack of a better word, I have been wrestling with my own inner demons these past few months. And for me, and they're, and they're different for everybody, but for me, those are self-doubts. You know, the certainty that I have nothing to offer. The voices that say, who are you to try to bring the word of God to this congregation of God-loving, God-serving people? Really? Um, come on. Yeah, those are the voices. And the, and the thing is, everyone's inner demons are, are very personal. They're, otherwise, they wouldn't be so convincing, you know. So I spoke with my spiritual director about all of this. And he said, oh, yeah. That sounds like a temptation. I said, okay, how how is it that self-doubt can be a temptation? And he, so he spoke to me about some of the teachings of uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola, who founded the Jesuit order, and who devised a spiritual practice called discernment of spirits. Some of you may be familiar with this. And St. Ignatius taught that temptations aren't always about money, you know, or power, or fame, or worldly things. He taught that For people who are trying to follow God and who love God, those worldly things don't have much allure, so the demons become, the temptations become perfectly suited for that person to draw them away from God. Oh, great. So I said, well, what do I do about it? And he said, you ignore them and you listen to other voices. That's easier said than done, but one thing I know is that you here at Aldersgate have been those other voices for me. Um, through my journey into ministry. And I spoke about those voices in my sermon on the names of God, the voice of compassion and of encouragement and of love. And so, yes, you have been that for me, and I want to thank you. I really do, and I want to ask for your continued prayers through this time of discernment. And just know that I pray for this church every single day. I really do. But now back to the desert and the devil. You know, and so often we hear this story as an oppositional encounter with an external entity, you know, kind of like a battle between Jesus and the devil and who's going to win. But I was praying over it, and I heard a, a little different uh, perspective uh, as I was praying over the text. I was struck by the phrase, Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert. Uh, why would the Spirit lead Jesus to the devil? That, the author of Mark even says that the Spirit drove Jesus into the desert, into the wilderness. 
But doesn't the Holy Spirit show us the way to love and peace and joy? And, and isn't it the devil who, who leads us to astray and keeps us from knowing God and fills us full of doubt and all those terrible inner demons? So why would the Spirit lead Jesus to the devil? Or in Mark's case, drive him? Shouldn't the Spirit be protecting Jesus from the devil? So I prayed over it, and I thought, well, what if the Holy Spirit led Jesus to the devil so Jesus could see exactly what had the potential to keep him from the love of God? Not to fight and overcome an enemy, but to give him the opportunity to deepen his reliance on God. Jesus already understood his relationship with God, his Abba. At his baptism, the heavens opened, and God called him his beloved, his son, Chances are Jesus already knew about his own powers. Those 30-something years that we don't hear much about, maybe he'd already performed a miracle. Maybe he had an idea of, of the incredible power that his relationship with God endowed him with. Maybe. Or maybe not. But those were the very things that had the potential to separate him from God. And so before he began his ministry, Holy Spirit led him to face and understand these temptations Even Jesus needed to learn this, even Jesus, because he was human, because he was one of us. Before he began his ministry to us, he needed to understand just how it is that we become separated from God. Excuse me. It happens when we're weak. So when Jesus was weak from hunger, Hasatan said, Why should you starve? Perform a miracle. Feed yourself from these stones. You can do it. And, his te- and this temptation showed Jesus that hunger could tempt him to use his powers in the wrong, the wrong way. Hunger and weakness, which would elevate him above us and separate him from God. But instead, Jesus turned toward God, saying, I'm fed by his word. He refuted the devil with truth. It happens when we doubt God. So Hasatan said, oh, that's so beautiful. You depend on God so much. But is he worthy of your trust? Cast yourself into the void. Will he catch you? And Jesus saw that even his faith in God could lead him to expect God to intervene. So Jesus said, I don't need God to prove his love for me. I know he loves me, and that's enough. It happens when we believe in our own power over God's. So Hasatan showed Jesus all the kingdoms in their riches and beauty and said, Jesus, as a leader, you could make the world perfect. God lets people make mistakes, but if you follow me, we can fix all that. And so Jesus learned that having a desire to rule even for the good could keep him from serving God first. And he said, ruling the world is not service. Only serving God can bring God's kingdom, and that's all I want. And then what happened? The devil left. He'd done what he was sent to do. And in his place, angels came and waited on Jesus. Every time we turn away from our temptations, we are strengthened that much more by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's how we know. That's how we know that we are turning toward God. Angels come and lift us, and the breath of life fills our heart and soul. And Jesus began his ministry. I was blessed as a teenager to have a counselor 
who was also an amazing spiritual teacher. I love Patty. Uh, First service, those of you who know Patty, she leaves these water bottles for me. I love her. Because of the story I'm going to share about my counselor, I'll keep confidentiality and I'll just call her Judith, which isn't her real name. But Judith was a counselor who wasn't, uh, she was very real. She wasn't afraid to share her own story. And that made her safer somehow, more compassionate. Uh, And part of her story was that her son, who I'll just call John, uh, had schizophrenia. A counselor whose son had schizophrenia. Kind of like Beverly Sills, whose son was deaf. So John, her son, was in and out of institutions um, his whole life, and sometimes he recognized Judith when she came and and often not. And we can only imagine the torment, the heartbreak, the self-blame and self-doubt, and even despair that any parent with such a terribly ill child goes through, a child that will never get well, how that can pull you apart from the inside out and test your faith, your relationship with God. But the Holy Spirit leads us into the desert, away from distractions into a place that's isolated where we can hear and see more clearly and so we can face our temptations. And this can often happen in surprising ways. And so when Judith was doing her residency on one of her rotations, she met a boy We'll call him Stephen. He was just the age her son had been when they received the diagnosis. He had hair just that same light brown color, and the way he waved his hands in front of his face, it was John all over again. And Stephen had schizophrenia. Now, Judith wasn't his mother. She was his therapist. But this was one of the early tests of her vocation. She could have listened to the temptation that said, Oh, you're not strong enough for this. You're too wounded. It's too much to ask. No one would blame you if you walked away. But instead she said, God will strengthen me as I lean on him. She could have listened to the temptation that said, You can't help this boy. You know better than anyone. There's no cure. So what are you trying to accomplish? Your work. There's no point. But instead, she said, God says, we're to love one another, and I can love this boy. She could have listened to the temptations that urged her to use her work with Stephen as as some sort of personal vindication or as a path to professional acclaim or any number of other worldly rewards. But instead, she searched her heart. And she leaned on God, and she said, This is my vocation. I do it for love of God, to bring God's healing mercy into the world, not for my own personal gain. Holy Spirit led her into the desert to meet Stephen. She had a chance to be with Stephen in a way she hadn't been able to be with her own son, and out of that came a healing she never, never could have imagined. Being with Stephen, she realized that just as she couldn't take responsibility for Stephen's illness, so should she not for her own sons. And just as she didn't have the power to remove this curse from Stephen's life, neither did she have that power for her own son. And just as this boy's illness was not God's way of punishing her, neither 
was her own son's. And then what happened? She found herself smiling whenever she met Stephen on her morning rounds. She found herself releasing the pain and the loss and the grief and enjoying his quirks and his distances and his misfiring brain. And even more than that, now when she visited her own son, she thought of Stephen, and she could smile at John's quirks, at his distances, and his misfiring brain. She was lifted up by angels, and the demons fled. And then she began her ministry. So what are your temptations? Pastor Brad has talked in the past about negative self-talk, but this goes much deeper than that. These are the things you're certain are true. Those secret beliefs, those misperceptions and blindnesses that you cannot even see yourself, that drive you away from instead of toward God, at the deepest part, the shadow part, of your wholeness, and it takes courage and a lot of prayer and a community of faith to share with, to share our brokenness with, and even more courage to refute it with God's truth, and sometimes that has to come from someone else. And of course, that's what the spiritual path asks of us, of all of us, to be that light for others who cannot see past their own shadow, to lift up and encourage Perhaps this is what James meant in his epistle. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. I'll just end with a prayer from St. Teresa, and it's, it's one of my favorites. Uh, Wendy has it as a bulletin insert, and maybe we could all read it together. Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are changing. God alone is changeless. Patience attains the good. One who has God lacks nothing. God alone fills all our needs. Amen.